Well, good morning, fellowship. I hope you're ready uh, to spend some time in the Word, are you? Yeah, y'all are a little bit more awake than first service. Uh, We'll mention that in just a second. It's exciting to be with you all today. We have been uh, visiting and a part of trying to find a church family for a while, and doing that at Fellowship means that we've spent a few months of a lot of people saying, hey, how are you? Are you new? And we have that same little conversation a few times in a row. And the funny thing is, the, the, the conversation doesn't get old because it means people care about you, and at least they're acting like they want to get to know you, and you can share just enough about yourself, and then the service starts. So if you're an introvert like me, then I get to enjoy that time with you for a few minutes, and then everybody turns to face Fred, and then I get to go back into my little shell. And then my wife, who's the person that loves to know people and their names and their anniversaries, then has information to sit on fire the rest of the week to do what she wants to do. Well, all those welcomes kind of came in, and then they died down, and then our son promoted to middle school, so we began not being able to come to this, the sleep late service, And then we had to come to the no snooze button service so that he can go to middle school. And we've enjoyed it again because new people are saying, hello, and how are you? Nice to meet you. And it's just been fun and refreshing uh, to get to know you. So if you haven't met me yet, then I'll come meet you next week and we'll have a good time. As we've gotten to know each other, though, and we've wandered from church to church, moving from a place in church ministry to a place in nonprofit engagement, uh, I'll soon be connecting up at the Western Carolina Rescue Ministries as their director of the Men's Recovery Program, which is an exciting thing because I was with them years ago uh, as their development officer, and I'm so excited to be a part of that discipleship ministry coming up very soon. And uh, the thing we've learned and seen as we've been going from a couple churches to churches and we've settled in here at Fellowship is every church has its own unique personality. Have you noticed that? Did you visit anywhere before you landed here or is this your very first church experience? They're not all like this. Some are not nice. Some are not friendly. Not not the ones you know, not the one you're thinking of. But different, (laughs) wow. Let's struck a chord. Different churches have different personalities. And it's not just because they reflect the, the leadership team that God's put here. You are uniquely placed at this place at this time because God has a purpose for you in this work to this culture. And that's specific. This is not some Frankenstein mashup of different kinds of people that just got haphazardly, randomly stitched together. No, this is God-designed, God-purposed, and God-timed. But not every church looks like it's all put together that way. Some of them do look like those haphazard mashups that get thrown together and you wonder, how in the world do those people work together? And do they work together? And are they really a church? Or are they just a collection of people that get together on Sundays, sing songs, and listen to sermons? One of the things I've noticed at Fellowship is there is a camaraderie. There's a freshness. There's a relationship that is among this group of people. We're still not connected in a growth group yet because of the time we hit. And we're noticing that those networks are not closed. They're not cliquish. They're open and looking for new people. So kudos to fellowship. Way to go. Way to be that way. But what is the missing link that some churches don't capture? What is that thing that keeps some churches in that whole Frankenstein mashup picture instead of this beautifully, intricately woven body of Christ? Well, Paul talks about it in chapter 5 of Galatians. It's kind of tucked away. It's not the official meaning of the passage, but there's an implication there that I think we need to hold on to. And it's the one that Fred and I talked about over a month ago that we were going to get to share with you all today. So, what's that secret? It's the Holy Spirit of God, alive in the work of God's people, walking in step with Him, loving each other to do an amazing work. It's the how that makes the what the church does special. 
So how do we do it? It's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter five. Fred talked about a lot of what's going on with the Bible app. If you have it, this is a good chance to open it up. You can go to events, Fellowship Asheville, and the notes for today, the scripture will be there. And then some reflection questions in case you wanna take those reflection questions through the week with you in, your, in your, uh, your quiet time or your small group time or whatever you wanna do there. I would encourage you to do that. Um, and then if you are a paper Bible person like me and you like to take paper notes, there's a Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one. Feel free to turn to page 808 there. That's where Galatians 5, Galatians 5 is. We'll be going there. And by the way, I've been told that if you don't have a Bible and would like a Bible, take it with you and nobody's going to tackle you on the way out the door. So that's good stuff. Galatians chapter 5, let's not waste any time. Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Say that word. Say love. Okay, that's a big word for what we're talking about today. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are this. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's a bad list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Now this text that we see is sitting toward the end of Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. And Paul, like he did in several letters, had some correcting to do, some instructing to do. There was something run amok in the church there that he had to address, and he felt like it was important enough to send a letter, and the Holy Spirit thought it important enough that this letter be transmitted transmitted all the way to us for today. So we hold in our hands a letter from years ago that has application and meaning for today because we too are the body of Christ. Now, what was going on in that body is there were some people called Judaizers. There were Jewish Christians who had come to faith, and because they were part of God's chosen people, they held very tightly to their heritage and their history. We talk about it a lot. Fred's talking about it a lot as we talk through this book of Hebrews. The Hebrews people were the Hebrews, and who they were was part of who God had made them to be, to to be a blessing to all nations. Well, as Jesus came, that blessing to all nations really became real in a new way so that we as Gentiles get a chance to walk into that. And the Jew Christians who were there, the Judaizers said, hey, we're glad to have you, but for you to be a good Christian, you need to become a good Jew too. So they were telling them, do these things and these rules and these regulations. There's a lot of feasting. There's a lot of giving. And by the way, the men need to be circumcised. And, da, da, da. and all the men said, what? And Paul said, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to clarify. And he does it in the first four chapters of the book. He says, look, you did not come to Jesus through works of the law. You did not come through things you can do. You came by grace through faith, a message that's in the book to the the Ephesus church. So we've got this idea, and he says, you didn't come to him by the works of the flesh or the body. You're not going to stay with him by the works of the body. So Judaizers, stop it. 
Quit teaching that. He said, but I'll tell you this. Do you want to focus on one Jewish law? I'll give you one. It's pretty important. Jesus talked about it. He said, if so, here's a Jewish law that applies to Jews and to, Jew- and to Gentiles equally. And it's the word we said again, said earlier. Say, say love one another. So he says, love one another. This is the key to it all. You've got these laws. You've got these rules. You've got these regulations. You've got these feasts. You've got these giving moments. That's all well and good. But when you came to Jesus, you came to the law of love. Now, the law of love does a lot of things between us. It's a, it's a connection with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, that allows us to be all that God made us to be. Not just for our own good, but so that other people who are around us, saved and unsaved, can have a connection with the God of all creation. And then Paul spent some time and he said, look, look. There are two ways to live inside the church that I find to be very popular. There's one how to live, and that how to live is not a good one. And then there's a how to live that's the one he's going to recommend to us and tell us that's what to do. So today, we're going to look at those two ways how to live. What are they? The first how to live is the wrong how. And that means we settle to live for the flesh. And we talk about the flesh, we don't talk about our, our skin and bones. We're talking about that inner fleshly part of us that wars against the things of God. We're going, to re- we're going to read the list one more time and then we'll set the stage and then let me explain it a little bit more. These are works that were going on in the community and in the church. Just keep that in mind. This is a big deal. Paul is saying, hey, there are certain things you should do, certain things you should not do. And by the way, as the body of Christ, these, place, these things have no home in the body of Christ. So the works of the flesh, verse 19, are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and such things like this. He says you live like this and you're going to consume one another. You're going to not just backbite, but you will eat each other alive in the church. So what it means to live by the flesh, biblically speaking, means that you focus on satisfying yourself regardless of how it might hurt yourself or others. Living by the flesh, biblically speaking, means that you're going to focus on satisfying yourself regardless of how it may hurt you or other people. It also means you might even satisfy God-given desires, drives, and urges, things that are perfectly neutral that God wants you to enjoy and be made for, but you'll satisfy those with wrong motives and actions that will even hurt you instead of blessing them. So we're not going to camp out here long, but I think it's worth going through that list and talking about how these God-given desires, urges, needs even can be fulfilled the wrong way in the flesh. Here's a good thing that you can do. You can worship. This is a great place to do that. Cam and the team and all the different teams that come and go. It's amazing. I don't know. I think I've counted 974 worship leaders in this church that, that come and go. And it's remarkable to watch them do what they do. They lead us to the presence of God so that our hearts are opened by the time that when the word of God hits us, we're ready. It's a special thing, but if we're not careful, we can worship the feeling instead of our God. And if we're not careful, we can make an idol of our singing. We can make an idol of our serving. We can make an idol of a lot of things when when God says, hey, worship me. So if we're not careful, the flesh leads us to take worship and turn it into idolatry. There's another thing you can do. You can enjoy your uniqueness. God made each of us special, different. I look around, not a single person looks the same. I've talked to a few people. You don't sound the same. I sound like I grew up in Alabama. There's a reason for that. Some of y'all didn't. Y'all sound a lot smarter. But you're not like me, and God put me in Alabama for a reason, to make me the man I turned out to be today. And he's making you to be that way. But when we focus too much on who I am and who you are and not who we are together, we can be very, uh, we can get jacked up, and we can uh, live lives of strife and jealousy. Strife and jealousy is the flesh. 
enjoying your uniqueness is a good thing. What about passion? I love people with passion. I'm a person with passion, and we drive people bananas because we are running at a fever pitch or we're in bed, right? We love it. And if we're not careful, we bulldoze people, run over stuff, and we break things. But it's great to be full of passion. If we're not careful, though, and that passion gets challenged, it turns to anger. And when it's worse, it turns into fits of anger. And if you've ever been around somebody who's passionate, boy, that's good. And then they wind up getting angry, and boy, that is not good at all. It is horrible. It's a work of the flesh. Here's a good thing. Relationships and convictions. The people you spend time with and the things you believe in. When relationships become alliances and convictions lead to encampments, trouble is imminent. The fleshly manifestation of relationships and convictions is rivalry, dissension, and divisions. There's a quote that we heard this morning from John Piper. He's an incredible theologian. He's a retired pastor of the gospel up in Minneapolis. Says a lot of things, but there are Piper fans. And there are Keller fans. There are Swindoll fans and Stanley fans. It just depends on when you crew up in the church and those people that handled the word well. I'm a Fred fan. He's, he's my favorite pastor. He's doing a great job. He brings the word. But if we're not careful, the Fred fans and the Cam fans cannot get along with each other. And like, I'm the worship guy. Well, I like the sermon time. Or I'm not going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. Stop. The Spirit of God would knit us together instead of tearing us apart. So have those people you read. Love those theologians, theologians that you follow. Watch whatever news you choose to watch on your channel. But when we walk into the body of Christ, we accept and love each other instead of settling for those rivalries, factions, and divisions. There are three more. We don't have a lot of time to talk about them, but I'm going to list them because Paul did. Success and ambition are good things. There's nothing wrong with godly ambition. But when you get it wrong, it turns into envy. And you want what other people have and you're going to do what you're trying to do to try to get like them. That is not appropriate. Refreshment is a good thing. Taken to its wrong place in the flesh becomes drunkenness. Sexual intimacy is a good thing created by God. And in the flesh it comes up as orgies and and Paul's so smart. He says, and other things like these. There are certain things that are appropriate in the body of Christ. There are certain things that are appropriate in the culture at large. But if we're not careful, we turn those God-given urges, desires, those things, those are drives for us. If we're not careful, they become manifestations of the flesh. Well, the question I might ask you if I were a, a scream and yell preacher is, how do you feel when you hear that list? That's not what Paul does. I see that list and I go, oh, goodness. So many good and wonderful things I could have experienced when instead I chose the flesh over the spirit. That's a heartbreaker. But I love the way that Paul handles it. I want to do the same thing. He doesn't say shame on you. He says, hey, but look how much better it could be if you would walk in the spirit. Things get incredible. So know what it could be. Have that picture of the dark place and let's shine a light on what would be more appropriate. I love his approach, this approach that's lovingly grace-filled that says, here's the right way to live. Here's the right how. Faithfully live in the spirit. And we're going to read that list and go through it too. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Where is it? I looked away. Kindness, what's next? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Now, my wife and kids are probably tired of me saying this by now, but I love this picture of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit that we get. And I talk about it a lot. My former churches have known this one a lot. And I'll I'll say it this way. Fruit that's made for mere display is fake fruit. It's a tasteless showpiece. But real fruit is grown to be eaten and enjoyed by others. It's a true blessing. When the Spirit of God grows in you, that fruit that you produce is not for show. It is not on display. It's not that pretty Florida orange picture with all those orange trees. If you have a a pretty Florida orange tree 
picture. You know the logo I'm talking about on Florida orange juice, right? You get it? It's full of oranges. That's a terrible orange tree. That fruit's not meant to be shown on a logo. That fruit's meant to be taken and consumed, to be enjoyed. Now, when people take your fruit, it's not always fun because they don't always fully appreciate what they're taking off of you. When people experience your goodness, sometimes it's because they're just not nice, but you choose to be good to them anyway. Some people will appreciate it. They'll come to you after the fact and say, it was so kind of you to treat me that way because I really was a jerk and you didn't give me what I deserved. And I'm grateful for that. And then other people will just try your patience and they'll pluck that patience off and off and off. And you're going, I'm about done with patience. You took it all. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll make more in you. Don't you worry. So whether people pick your fruit and it's painful or they're careless or they're grateful, don't stop producing fruit and giving it away. Because regardless of it all, real fruit is grown to be eaten and enjoyed by others. It's meant to be a true blessing. So how does the fruit nourish others? Well, in the body of Christ, we have connections with people that we may not have that we just work with or bump into or salespeople that we interact with or our clients. But when we're working in the body of Christ, we're getting pretty close to each other. In these circles, when you get in a circle, you can kind of bump elbows with each other, right? When you sit in pews or in rows, you can kind of spread out and put your Bible over here and your purse over there and nobody gets too close. But the closer you get in these circles, you bump into these people and when people bump each other, stuff spills out. And what we really need to see spilling out is the spirit, not the flesh. When you follow God's guide, he will lead you to do things and to do certain, certain things in certain ways that are totally transformational and out of place in this world. And one of the things that I was, even as I was finishing up last night, as I was driving home, the Lord, it was two nights ago, the Lord spoke to me, he said, David, make sure you, the people know that I am their God. I made them, I know them better than anybody else does. I know you, I made you, I know you better than anybody else does. And by my plan, I put you right beside them so that you could give them what I know they need. Because people need to see the Holy Spirit of God with skin on. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, he comes in not just so you'll feel his presence, but so that you will experience his presence in a way that can benefit those other people. So I don't know what God's doing today, but by the power of his spirit, he's probably given me a word that you needed to hear. It may just be that you needed to hear love. And that was worth the trip today. So what does it look like when the fruit gets used, when the fruit gets produced, when it gets consumed? Let's walk through that list. When the Spirit of God produces love in you, then, and I'm just picking stuff out of the air, okay? Then a lady over here would talk to a lady over here, and this lady over here, and if you're, if you're listening by radio or online, I'm sorry, left and right, just pick it in your mind. There's a person on one side of the congregation that speaks to a person at the other side, and there's just that, that moment when she says something, and, and the other person says, if she only knew how badly I needed to hear that today, I was about to quit. It was almost over. But she showed me that unconditional love was more important than what I did last week or what I did last year. She saw me as a real human the way God does. That's what love does. It's beautiful, it's special, it's transformative. Like when God's spirit produces joy in you. Say we've got a 10th grade kid. I don't know him, he doesn't exist, in, but in my mind he does. And his parents who have been married 20 something years are after all these years of marriage have just said they had enough and they're ready to split, and he doesn't know what to do. He's always had a together family, and he's about to go to college, and his family's falling apart, and what am I going to do? And that man, that young man, when God's spirit works in him, he can have peace. Excuse me, he can have joy. The joy that says, regardless of how things are going wrong in my family, I'm going to say, God, I know you love me. I know you love my mom and dad. They don't love each other right now. They're not acting very kind. And you know what happens? Somehow in that moment, a 10th grade kid can lead his mom or dad to see what the Spirit of God looks like in the heart and life of somebody who's trusting. 
doesn't mean the marriage is going to get fixed. But it means that walking through hard times can be done with the satisfaction of joy knowing that God's got me in this. When God's Spirit does produce peace in you, like I almost got away and said, we realize that when we go to work and then there's that one person that creates static with you, this seems like their only reason for coming to work is to make your life difficult. When God's Spirit is producing peace in you, that person gets to experience your peace and you're not going to get pulled up and caught up in all their junk. The muck will come and go and you may go home covered in mud, but you didn't sling any back at them. That's what God's Spirit does when God's Spirit is alive in us at work or with people who are difficult. When God's Spirit produces patience, like in my family, when socks after 23 years of marriage don't still quite make it to the laundry hamper, or a bowl, which I've been told when it's in the sink is only 18 inches from the dishwasher. Uh, Go figure. My sweet wife, who shakes her head sometimes at me and just hangs her head sometimes when I preach, She's shown patience all these years. And I've learned to put my socks away at least half the time now. Can I get an amen from the back? No. Patience goes on and on. Patience doesn't just happen once. Patience gets tried. To have your patience tried and tried and tried produces more patience and more patience. And it's the fruit of God, the Spirit of God, that's going to show that in you. When God's Spirit produces kindness in you, you spot a need and you meet it and you don't really care if anybody knows how the need got met. It's just the right thing to do. When God's spirit produces goodness in you, a college kid's mom will still do the laundry when it comes back on a three-day weekend. Even though you know you gave her $35 worth of quarters. It's good to treat people good. When God's spirit produces faithfulness in you, that couple that goes to hang out with middle school boys in the first hour, week after week after week, and all they do is make sounds and smells, that person goes week after week after week, knowing that they're planting seeds of righteousness in these young women and young men so that they can become all that God wants them to be. Gentleness, gentleness will show up in a man who says, you know what, I know the way my dad treated me, but I will not do that to my kids. I will not take a bad day out on them, even if it's been a rough one. While I'd rather watch Sports Center, I will go play. I would rather rest. Inside of me, I would rather rest, but the Spirit of God would allow me to go put some energy into my kids, enjoy the afternoon, and give them what they need, not what I just want to give them because I'm being lazy. When God's Spirit produces self-control in you, you go to church when you don't want to. Because you know there's somebody around the corner that might need you. I shared this in the first hour. It really wasn't in the notes, but I'm that guy who I love to sing. My daughter says I sing too loud. Today I got to sing as loud as I wanted to because it was just me and Fred and Katie. And, but when I sit in the back, Leah Grace is like, don't sing so loud. It makes it hard for me to worship when I think people are staring at you. But, but there are times, do you ever come to church when you don't want to sing? You, know, you watch somebody raise their hand and you're like, put that down. Just not because you disagree with raising hands, but because like, I don't feel that today. One of the best reasons to come to church is to have other people sing songs over you. Songs that will build your faith and grow you because you may not look at them and go, I want to be just like that person or that person, but you're like, I need what they have. I need who is working in them to work in me. And there are moments that to have you sing, and I'll, I'll, I'll credit you with this. One thing I've learned at Fellowship, and I'm sneaky, because I watch and I go, how many guys sing at this church? Are the guys leading in worship? And they do, Cam. You hear a lot of guys trying to hit those notes, and they're just like, it ain't happening. <laughs> but they're trying. And God's honored. And what happens is we set a tone with these boys and girls that are worshiping with us before they go out to their different places to do their groups. They're learning from you. You are singing over these children and they're learning how to worship even on days that you think, I'd rather go play golf. 
You see, while there's a lot of personal benefit in having fruit grow in you, it's so much better to see your fruit impact and touch other people. What makes a church, a local body of Christ, so powerful, it's the wide range of relationships and differences that God, I would say magically, he supernaturally knits together as only God can as he stitches us together so all the right pieces fit in all the right places. There's a patch that you are that fits a void that is shaped just like you in the body of Christ that is fellowship. And if you're new here and you're wondering if this is supposed to be your place, God will make it clear. He will say, he'll say, I've got a spot for you here. There's something that you're supposed to accomplish in the body of Christ. Yes, our individual God-given differences are powerful when we put them together, but when we do it in a way that's marked by love and the affection that's created by the fruit of the Spirit, we're not only powerful, but we're beautiful. And I'll take a beautiful, powerful church over a powerful church any day. It's a good thing to be in the hand of God and know that you're not just out here walking along. You're actually in step with the Spirit of God. You're not out for a hike all by yourself. You are blazing new trails, knowing that the God of all creation is taking you somewhere special. Maybe you're saying, David, I I know that's true. I've I've got a pastor friend who will read a text, and when he reads it, if it's not like right in his life, if he's going, I'm I'm not walking with God that way, he won't preach the text. Not because it's not true, but he wants to stand with credibility and say, you know what? It's in the word and it's in here. So he'll, he'll just skip it. Like if he's working through the book of Ephesians and he's like, I'm not there yet. All of a sudden, we just didn't teach four verses. Now, there, there's a part of him like, oh, don't go be a chicken. Just say we're all in process. But I do honor that because there's a sincerity in it. But there's some of you may go, yeah, I get it. I get that the fruit of the Spirit. But do you, do you even know how hard I've tried to like her? I just don't. And if he says one more thing to me, I'm just going to go off. I'm I'm just not, you know what? I figured out what I'm going to do. They're going to sit over here and I'm going to sit over there. And we'll come in our own ways and we'll be cordial, but we're not going to be friends. Or even what's what's even better for some people, better in, in air quotes, is, hey, they're a first service person. So I'll sleep late and go to second. We'll even never have to deal with each other. (laughs) I don't think that's a fellowship. Fred hasn't told me. If it is, shame on us, okay? The Holy Spirit can work on that. But it happens in churches among Christians all the time. I just don't like them. I don't want to be around them. And when we do that, God's Spirit is grieved. Let me tell you a story. A few weeks ago, my family went up to, um, where did we go, Beth? Niagara Falls. I keep calling it the Grand Canyon. It's not the same thing. I do it. I almost did it. I tried to do it first service. And on the way, it's a 1,700-mile trip there and back, and I've got a 14-year-old Leah Grace and 11-year-old Bennett. We love each other, but that's a long time in the car. So we decided that we were going to go all the way, but we were going to take a few stops. So one of our stops on the way up was in Pittsburgh. There's some great things to do in Pittsburgh. Took in a Pirates game, and we went to the Pittsburgh Zoo. At the Pittsburgh Zoo, one of the very first things you get to do, if you follow the trail they want you to follow, which bothers me, but I did. I played by the rules. I went this way. I wanted to go see the sea lions first, but I followed the crowd, and we walked over here. There was this lion, and it's really cool how this works because Fred and I talked about this sermon I don't know, a month ago. And we talked about the text and where we were going and and the theme that I thought was developing. He's like, yeah, do that, do that, do that. And I get into Pittsburgh and I see this lion and something just set off in me that was perfect, I think, for the sermon. If you disagree, don't tell me later. But I hear this lion. I've seen lions before. I've seen them on TV. I've seen them at the beginning of MGM uh, movies and it's pretty cool. But when a lion roars at your face... Oh my goodness, that's incredible. You could feel it in your chest. And he was like, from me to guy in the green shirt. What's your name? 
Okay, imagine you're a lion, John, okay? Thank you. He roared for you. You didn't hear it, but it was pretty cool. It, that lion was a pretty, pretty cooler than you, okay? He roared, and he let it. It was probably a little bit farther away, but when he let his mouth open, and that came out, this is an eight-year-old lion, so this is not just some punk teenage lion showing off for the ladies. He was, it was real. He was going, and he'd going, he was going, and I just stood there. In that moment, I was no longer a dad with his kid. I was just blown away. I was like, God made that lion. And that lion could eat my face off right now. His, his head was as wide as my chest. His paws, I looked it up. He's got a name. But his paws are the size of dinner plates. That's a big old cat. Well, he's doing his thing and I'm blown away. And he's, they designed that thing so that you, I, could, I was really close to him. But I wasn't really close to him. Because there were things, safeguards in place to keep me from getting dangerously close to the lion. So in all of his power and all of his majesty and all of his showing off, I'm going, that's pretty cool. And I finally walked away. And the next display that I saw, we rounded the corner. And sure enough, there was a stand of trees. And right there is this antelope. Gorgeous, sleek. You know, they're looking all serene, minding his business. All the kids are screaming and yelling. He's unfazed. Doesn't bother him at all. He's like, I've seen a 10-year-old before. I've heard a 4-year-old scream. No big deal. And I'm just standing there going, he's not moving. There are people in this room that would have shot him dead if they had a license to do it, right? Because you don't get that close to them and maybe there aren't hunters in the room. I've got friends who would have shot him dead and hauled him off and mounted him. But sorry, wrong church, wrong crowd. Um, <laughs> but he was unfazed. He was right there. And then some, there were two realizations. The first realization is, this is incredible. The lion is being a lion. He's lioning over there and the antelope is antelopeing and I'm touristing and it's just so cool. And then something happened that just floored the whole moment because as I'm looking at the antelope, I hear the lion showing off for the next group of people who came through in the line. And that antelope still didn't flinch. And it hit me. You know what? This is cool, but this is not natural. Because in the wild, in the true Sahara, I've been told that lions don't roar when they're that close to lunch. Right? They keep it quiet and they sneak up and they go get them. And they try to find that moment. But as much as they thought they were kind of being lions and kind of being antelopes, what I saw there was not totally, totally natural. And when it comes to us as a body of Christ, I think we're kind of that way. Those fences and those moats that the designers put in of that zoo, we build our own as the body of Christ. And when we feel like there's a threat in the body, we build a fence and dig a moat to play it safe. And the Holy Spirit of God says, take a chance. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't play it safe with us? Scripture says that to follow Christ, we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, who in a similar way took up his cross, denied himself, and followed after God's plan. We are transformed because Jesus didn't play it safe. And friends, Fellowship Asheville and Weaverville to come can be transformed if you won't play it safe if you'll take the chance and walk in the Spirit of God. You see, we are not meant to be a stealth operation where some Christians hang out in one place and others hang out in the other and we never hear or see each other. No, we're not called to mask our personalities or play it fake. We are to be our redeemed selves the way God made us in our personalities, growing in Christ's likeness so that our character is growing and can make our personality tolerable. When we live our lives of faith collectively, we can be powerful and beautiful as the body. And even if people drive you nuts, it's just an opportunity for God's spirit to make you more like Jesus. If you know you're the person that drives the other person nuts, God can work on you too. Okay, You're just not there to bring out the best in them. God would have you be who you're supposed to be. Because avoidance is an artificial fix. That's like living in a zoo. 
It's a cheap substitute for actually living the life of the kingdom of God. So what we need is not to avoid each other, but to walk in the spirit. Now, the good news is if the good news, the gospel is if you've said yes to Jesus, the way we talk about here, if you've said yes to Jesus, then you can choose to live a different life and reject the spirit because God's, excuse me, you can reject the flesh because God's spirit makes it possible for you to walk with him instead of in your old ways. So I would encourage you to do that. If you saw that list and you said, you know what, the flesh looks more like me than the spirit. Well, the good news is the gospel says you can exchange that by inviting the spirit to chase those things out and to turn and say yes to Jesus more than you say yes to yourself. Secondly, I want to encourage you to begin tearing down a fence or filling up a moat. If there's that person and I've talked about them and you see their face right now, say, Lord, even if I don't want to, I need to. I want to make a new commitment to you so that if you put this person in this body and you know what they need and you put me in this body and you know me and you know what I need, then I'm going to agree with you that this is a match made in heaven. It's not always going to be easy. It's very painful to work that one out sometimes, but I would rather look like Jesus than be comfortable. The same God who knows you and made you knows best what's for you. Here's a slide I want to show you. Infillings of the Spirit should be followed by outgrowths of fruit so that we encourage and enjoy each other just as God intended. You don't just get God's Spirit to enjoy Him. You get God's Spirit to bless others and to give yourself away. He intentionally brought different personalities, backgrounds, people from Alabama and not Alabama together so that God could be glorified and we could enjoy each other. There's a next slide that says, with great skill, purpose, and love, God has stitched together a beautifully designed body called Fellowship to uniquely touch this city with the good news of Jesus. This church is not like some of the others I visited. I think it's really neat that it's different. There's some beautiful things about other churches that I've been a part of and I love too, but this one's special. You know why? Because God made us special to achieve a special work at a special time the way he wants to. And we can do it with strength and we can do it with beauty. And the beauty only comes if we walk in the Spirit. So, if you're already a believer, all this stuff is available to you right now. If you're not a believer, it's all hooey, hogwash, junk, whatever you want to call it. It's impossible. But the good news is, if you say yes to Jesus, it's not like he will lead you to say no to some other things. That comes as part of the deal. But I will tell you this on the authority of the scriptures and on a life that has been blessed beyond anything I ever deserve. When you say yes to Jesus, so many things are just better. Doesn't mean life's easy. It doesn't mean it's always a win. It doesn't mean you'll always have the dream job. It doesn't mean your spouse will always respect you. Mine does. She's wonderful. But it doesn't mean you get all these great prosperity things that you might hear some preachers talk about. But I will tell you, a life with Jesus is a better yes than any of the other no's that you think you might experience. I have never once regretted following Jesus. And if you would like to say yes to him, Fred, Cam, myself, we'd love to talk to you. This church believes that Jesus is good news. The gospel is good news. And good news happens in a body full of love. It happens in a body full of respect for each other. An appreciation, even if it's smiling, that (laughs) he's different than I am. They're going to cost me some fruit. But it's worth it. The flesh will eat you alive and will destroy the body of Christ.
The Spirit, on the other hand, will always build, always grow, always fulfill, and always bless from you to me and the opposite. Isn't that good news? If you need Jesus, today's the day to do it. If you need to walk with Jesus better than you were, the invitation's wide open. We're going to sing and celebrate that in a second. Cam and the band can come, and as they walk, don't watch them. Bow your heads. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you are a good newser, that you make this life that we live special, wonderful, and even sometimes if it's difficult, you give us what we need to make the day what it needs to be. So today, as you've been kind enough to meet with us, we submit to your will. I pray that men and women and children all over this place will learn to walk and step with you and that as I practice it too, we will.